welcome to episode number four of the Curly W Live podcast. As a reminder, you can always find the podcast on our blog, Curly W Live, which is curlyw.mlblogs.com, nationals.com slash podcast, and on iTunes. On our site, Curly W Live, you'll see a link on the homepage for podcasts. Simply click that to go back in the archives and find past episodes or listen to the most recent one. Now, if you remember in episode three with Dan Colco and Chip Winfield, at the end I mentioned that we would be taking a bit of a road trip for episode number four, and that is what I did. I headed up to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, the home of the AA Harrisburg Senators. Uh, up there, we visited with their manager, Matt LeCroy, and their radio voice, Terry Byram. Now, if you haven't yet, um, I highly recommend taking the drive. It's about two hours up to Harrisburg um, to check out Nationals Minor Leaguers. Uh, that AA Harrisburg often is often home to many of Nationals' top prospects. Um, and it's a really cool setting. F&B Field um, sits on City Island, which is an island in the middle of the Susquehanna River. Um, now, even though it was raining during my visit, it's a pretty cool setting for a minor league park. And personally, I generally try to get up and out to the affiliates um, when the Nationals are on the West Coast. You know, visit Potomac for a night or Hagerstown or, or Harrisburg. Um, you know, Syracuse and Auburn are a little bit far, um, but... You know, for me, it, I'm all about trying to kill time before these 10 o'clock or 10.10 or 10.15 starts uh, in D.C. So uh, we recorded this podcast while the Nationals are on the West Coast. Um, they just topped the Los Angeles Dodgers on Monday night, 4-2, and look to get two more wins before coming back home starting Thursday. Our first guest in today's podcast, Matt LeCroy, uh, the manager of the Senators, and he's frankly a man that does not need much of an introduction. Uh, he is one of the more entertaining, genuine, passionate, smart baseball men that I've ever been around. Uh, after his playing career, he got into coaching with the Nationals, made his way up through the system as a coach and a manager, uh, before spending the 2014 and 2015 seasons as the bullpen coach here in D.C. In 2016, he returned to manage the Senators. And in our interview, uh, we talk about his career path, his philosophy on both teaching the game and managing in-game. Uh, we talk about what he learned while playing for some of the top managers in the game at the time, you know, Tom Kelly and Ron Gardenhire with the Minnesota Twins, as well as Frank Robinson here in D.C. Uh, we get into some of the players he's managed along the way and you know what he saw in them while he managed them you know, at, at different spots along the Nationals minor league system. Um, and it how what he saw then contributed to their success in the big league so far. Um, we also get into some of his superstitions, some funny stories from the road. Um, Matt is quite a character. He's always a pleasure to be around. He always makes everyone around him smile and laugh. Um, so I really enjoyed spending about 20 minutes talking to him. Now, we did have some technical difficulties towards the end of this segment, so I apologize for that, but we made it work. Um, so here's our interview with Matt LeCroy, the manager of the AA Harrisburg Senators. And we are here at the Curly W Live studios with Matt LeCroy, the manager of the AA Harrisburg Senators. Welcome, Matt. Thank you. It's great to have you on the podcast, our fourth episode. Um, so 2017 marks your ninth season in a coaching role in the Washington system and your second in your current stint as manager of the Senators. Um, spent the 2014-15 seasons with the Nationals as the bullpen coach, and before that, climbed the managerial ladder through Washington system. And, and before we get started, I will have to say the 2014-15 seasons with you. Um, I don't know if I had any more entertaining bus rides in my life than the bu from the hotel to the stadium and back and forth. So, 
If you had a seat next to you, I was probably trying to sit next to you. <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, I tell everybody all the time. I try to keep everybody loose, and and uh, you know, it's it's a game of uh, a lot of failure. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we had a good season in fourteen, and fifteen was kind of a we didn't meet our expectations. But uh, you know, that's kind of my job to mm-hmm. try to keep everybody loose and be ready. And you absolutely do that, and I think you still do that. I'm willing to bet. Um, we're going to talk a lot about your managing career right now in this in this segment but first um i want to take you back you're one of the finest clemson baseball alums uh in the school's history uh, without a doubt um so first congratulations on their football national championship i know you're i know you're dying to brag about that big orange (laughs) that's good um but you were a big tennis star in high school right i don't know about (laughs) star uh you know the place that i grew up in belton i still live there Mm -hmm. um is the tennis capital in South Carolina. Okay. And, you know, I grew up kind of on the other side of the street, didn't have money to, to play tennis, and uh, I had a lot of friends that played it, and I just picked it up, and mm-hmm. when I was over at their house, I'd play, and then they kind of got me involved with some lessons, and, and then I ended up playing on a high school team when I was in the seventh and eighth grade. Wow. And then I started playing baseball, and then my junior year, uh, the tennis coach approached me to play tennis, and I hadn't mm-hmm. played in three years. So he put me on the roster without playing, <laughs> and I told him I'd play after we got – baseball was finished. Player. We lost in the playoffs, and I went and played on our tennis team, and we ended up winning the state championship. Nice. So, yes, a star. <laughs> a star. <laughs> you don't have to be modest. <laughs> uh, how did baseball win out for you? Was it just sheer talent? Uh, well, I liked I, – I loved all sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, I played football in high school, and, and uh, I played basketball growing up all the way up through middle school, and – uh, my brother played baseball in college, and mm-hmm. it was just something that I kind of gravitated towards. And I started working real hard at it, and, and my body got – I got taller and bigger and stronger. And, and, you know, just it was amazing how that hard work started paying mm-hmm. off, you know. And I just sacrificed all my time with baseball. Mm-hmm. And I still played all the sports, but, it, you know, obviously my baseball talent outweighed my football skills and basketball right. abilities. And, <laughs> but it's something I loved, and I ended mm-hmm. up – um, having some opportunities to go on and play in college and in the pros. So during your professional career, collegiate and professional career, was was managing ever? Do you ever think that was in the cards, or was it something you, um, you know, kind of built towards that as your career went on? Well, I think it's. Uh, I always wanted to stay involved with athletics. Uh, you know, I went to school at Clemson to be a, a school teacher, which would have been I'd have been involved right. with coaching. Uh, my family was involved in coaching, so you know, I thought that was an avenue. And then once I got to pro ball and started getting towards the end of my career I had a bunch of managers and former mm-hmm. coaches that you know talked to me about the possibility that I thought I'd be good at, at managing mm-hmm. and I just kind of I started knew when my body started breaking down and it's coming right. coming close to an end and I started paying more attention about how people dealt with people and and all the things that were involved with it and then when I quit playing obviously uh actually Bob Boone called me about managing mm-hmm. so uh you know he he opened a door for me to to get over here and it's it's been really good now, during your playing career, um, you had you played for some pretty highly regarded managers, mm-hmm. uh, Tom Kelly, Ron Gardenhire, and, of course, Frank Robinson mm-hmm. with the Nationals. Um, do you remember, you know, s- things they told you along the way, or, you know, s- did you take lessons from them along the way that you kind of apply now? Yeah, I mean, TK was, uh, his big motto was always be ready for the first pitch, and, mm-hmm. and all that meant was make sure you're doing all your early work, your preparation to be ready for the first pitch of the ball game, be ready, and and Gardy, his style, he, he wanted everybody to be involved. So, you know, I was a bench player, role player, and 
he got me at bats. He got me in games that 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 allowed me to be ready when when we hit a big game. And and then with Frank, uh, Frank was an old school guy that, you know, if he was a starter, you know, he you played every day. Yeah. I mean, he I learned a lot just through his experiences. Uh, so I've taken a little bit of all three and 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 tried to implement it in what I do now. Do you remember a time where, you know, they may have told you something or? gave you, you know, taught you something that you weren't quite sure about and you were kind of skeptical but then now you kind of find yourself telling the same things to the players here well no doubt about yeah. it i mean t for me the you know tk's uh be ready for the first pitch is to me is is my you know when i look back on it i i, I thought it probably was foolish right. when i first started because you know i was young and mm -hmm. I, you know i thought well, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense but then once i got a little bit older and then now that i got into coaching i understand exactly understand mm -hmm. 100% what he meant mm -hmm. and I've you know I've been been able to kind of push along that same little mentality and it's and it's paid off for a few guys and some people don't buy in right. and it takes a little bit of time but that's part of it you know going through that um, so you like we talked about you managed a little bit and then went to became the bullpen coach in DC and you're back to managing um, what what's different about those roles um, you know from a personal relationship standpoint from like a teaching standpoint um, you know and how was the transition to go from managing to bullpen coach and now back to managing? Well, I think the biggest advantage that I had going to uh, to a bullpen coach from managing, uh, you know, as a manager, you always you involved with the game, mm -hmm. you, you you're paying attention to everything that goes on, and then when you go to the bullpen, you're kind of away from the bench. Mm -hmm. You know, you you're you're kind of the coach, the extension of the manager, trying to make sure these guys are ready. And uh, for me, I, I tried to follow each game and try to go with what Matt, maybe what he was mm -hmm. thinking, and try to follow the game and see who would be ready. But uh, and now that it coming back to managing again, mm -hmm. the the experience that I got at the big league level, as, as far as me helping evaluate guys here, mm -hmm. you know, seeing what the deficiencies they have that right. maybe they can improve on to become a big league player, a big league pitcher, and I think that's. The advantage and the experience that I got from up there was valuable right. because I come down here and I, I got a better sense of who's ready and who ain't. So now, now that you're back in into the managing game and you know maybe throughout the years, what um, from your personal philosophy, how much of your day is spent teaching the game and how much is spent managing and preparing for the game from a managerial sense? Well, for me, I you know I I have to make sure uh, that everything's organized. Mm -hmm. You know our daily schedules, um, the lineup, all that kind of thing. Make sure the guys know where they're going. I have to make sure that our our coaches are facilitating mm -hmm. the programs that are in place for each player. Uh, and then once BP starts, uh, we all, all three of us are constantly teaching and 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 trying to get guys better and developing and hopefully they can help our big league team out but then the game the game's the fun part you know right. we work these kids out pretty good and the game's the fun for, fun part for them so you know we hopefully uh give them a little knowledge give them a little tips that can help them become big leaders so as you know everyone here their goal is obviously to make the big leagues and i've asked this to mark slava too in our first episode how do you as a manager manage wanting to win every night with the, the goal is for all these guys to get promoted and, and make it to the big leagues. Well, I think, uh, you know, I try to, from the, from spring training on, mm -hmm. when we get closer to the end of spring, your club's kind of more uh, of what it's going to be like at the last week. So I started, you know, the mentality is we're going to go out and work hard. Mm -hmm. We're going to try to win as many games as we can. But along the way, I won't sacrifice a guy's development for, for a win. Right. But every night we're going to go out and play 100%, mm -hmm. and we're going to run balls out. We're going to prepare every day. 
and we're going to teach you how to win ball games. You know, because you know we got prospects that they play every day, no matter what right. their what their batting average is, and we have to make sure that these guys are locked in, and the guys who are around them that don't play every day make them feel like they're a part of it. Right. And that's my job to make sure my bench guys get involved and. You know, I try to find ways to get them in the games more often so they don't get stale. But uh, we try to win as much as we can. But, you know, we'll never sacrifice a kid's development for, for, a, win. for a win. So back in your previous stint with the with the club in 2013, um, you were managing and you had four players make their MLB debut straight from AA. Uh, Anthony Rendon, of course, Taylor Jordan, Nathan Carnes, and Ian Kroll. Um, what do you remember about those players at the time that allowed them to make that jump because it's not that – common of a jump especially to have four in one season well you know it's it's crazy now you know i know certain organizations have different philosophies mm-hmm. but you know for us the, the the unique thing being with the washington nationals that that mike rizzo is not afraid to take a kid from double a mm-hmm. to the big leagues but the the things that stood out uh, about all those guys one they they had really good stuff their skills were 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 tops and they started being able to repeat pitches and and uh mechanics and uh, their athleticism stood out from a lot of people. And, uh, you know, on that club who didn't make the big leagues because he was hurt at the end was, was Aaron Barrett. Right. Who made a big impact on our club in the big the leagues. Uh, and year, yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, you can see the stuff, mm-hmm. but they have to be able to repeat it. And all four of those guys were able to repeat the deliveries and throw more strikes. And that's what pushed them to, to get right. to the big leagues. Um, do you remember how you went about telling those players? Or in a broader sense, do you have like a strategy for telling guys? As far as they go into the business, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, and Ian Kroll's, uh, you know, it was a, it was a, a phone call because <laughs> it was, you know, on the spur of the moment. Was it? Uh, you know, I had to tell him on the phone. He came in, and uh, but probably the one that was the most special for me uh, uh, was Sandy Leon. I know that was right. the year before, but uh, uh, we had got done playing, mm. and we were in Akron, and uh, uh, Doug calls me and says Willie got hurt, mm. and. Sandy's going up. Well, he had been back. He was already at the hotel, so I had to call him and tell him that uh, MOB was here to do a drug test. <laughs> so he had to come back and, you know, do what he had to do to test. And when he came back, I had the coaches in there, and I told him he was going to the big leagues. And what makes it special is you see the kid, kid crying. Right. He's so emotional because all the – I mean, Sandy Leon couldn't speak English. Right. And now he can – he's fluent in right. English. And – to see how the, all the hard work that he put into it and the sacrifice, and then you get to tell him he's going up. I mean, it it really – I tell people all the time that it it actually uh, is more uh, gratifying for me to tell a kid than when I was told I was going up. Do you remember your story or when you were told for the first well, time? Well, the weird thing about mine, I uh, spring training, uh, spring training kept going on. I, I stayed. I wasn't on the roster. Mm-hmm. I kept staying. I kept staying. And then uh, I made the flight up to, to – uh, Minnesota, we still had like 26 or 27 <laughs> guys, and then we had our first workout. Right. I still hadn't been told, and then they called me in and made me sign my contract. Wow. So, pretty special. I, mean, I was able to get my pa- family and all right. there, so it was good. I mean, the great thing to go back to Sandy, I mean, I know he's not with us anymore, but it's really cool to see him, what, the successes he's had oh, in yeah. Boston. It's, no, it's, I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, yeah. you, he went from a guy who was a defensive catcher, mm-hmm. and that was going to be that's his bread and butter. Right to a guy who's actually made some impacts on the offensive right. side because of all the hard work and all those guys, you know, a lot of them, you know, Anthony's still with us, but mm-hmm. a lot of those guys are with other clubs. And, and that's my message. We, you know, we, we want to create the most value for each player mm-hmm. and we want to make everybody maximize their ability. So 
you know, you can help us. You may not help our team, right? But you may help be a piece that gets us a World Series championship and you an opportunity. How often are you checking the big league box scores every night, or you know, not just our team, but players you've coached along the way? Yeah, we look. I mean, we 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 check on guys that we have, but I mean, here we watch the the games Mm -hmm. and and uh, you know, we coach with. Bobby and and right. some guy Rick Shoes mm-hmm. and I play with Jock, so we we we're all vested into it. And we because the big league team wins, uh, that's a that's a big win for right. us. Uh, so shifting now a little bit to a typical game day. I know this isn't typical because I'm here bothering you, um, and there's some serious rain on the way. Um, but what's your what's your typical game day preparation like? Well, we uh, I usually get here. Uh, all my coaches are usually here around around 11:30 or noon, and uh, uh, you know, we gather any needs that we need to address. Uh, we go over that, and then our day starts. Uh, hitting coach uh, takes all the guys down to the cage, mm-hmm. and they do their own routines, individual. You know, they don't go down as a group. Uh, he has a really hard job. It's yeah. the toughest job. I mean, he, he works extremely hard. And then, you know, we the pitchers stretch, uh, you know, and do their throwing programs. Mm-hmm. They have to do a throwing program every day. Right. And then you have the sideline work for each pitcher, you know, or uh, little light touches and feels. And then we uh, usually take uh, have early work mm-hmm. that's individualized, so you can have catchers doing early work, infielders, mm-hmm. outfielders. We do base run as a team during that early period, and then we stretch and then take uh, batting practice, mm-hmm. and then we take infield, outfield. And it's basically, uh, you know, out of a seven-day homestand, we, we have that routine for about five of those seven. Wow. Um, so is there anything that you do right before a game, like super, not maybe superstition or like just something you, before you step out on the dugout or take the lineup card out, that there's something you have to do every night? Well, I'll check that lineup. <laughs> the lineup card's a lot different in the minor leagues yeah. than it is in the big leagues because in the Eastern League, you have to have everybody on the card. Oh, even, the, un, un, the even, the, even the pitchers, mm-hmm. the extras, they have to be on or the, Even the major league rehab guys, mm-hmm. if they're not on it, um, they can't play, which is right. really a strange rule. It's <laughs> considered that's why the minor leagues is here for right. guys to, to to do that. But uh, I, I make sure the lineups because I don't want ever want to leave a kid out right. and, and keep him from playing. So, what's the, one of the funniest stories that you can share with us? Appropriate, of course, um, that can either p- give people a glimpse into like the minor league lifestyle or your life as a manager and dealing with all these players. Uh well, I mean, I could. There's a lot of things I could tell you <laughs> that uh, probably shouldn't share. I think, I think one of the things that that people don't understand is mm-hmm. the travel. Right. You know, in the big leagues, you travel. You got charter planes. You got plenty of buses. You got your own seat. <laughs> and then you get to the minor leagues, and you got one bus, and you got 36 people. And uh, sometimes the bus don't, the air don't work. Uh, they don't have uh, satellite TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it could get a little crazy, and they're long. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the food, you know, <laughs> people don't realize this. I mean, it's you in the minor leagues. I mean, our organization does a good job mm-hmm. of feeding the players to make sure they. We're talking about food in the minor leagues right now. Um, you know, like I said, the organization does a great job for you guys, taking care of you and making sure you have everything you need. Now, are you telling me you don't get your own seat on the bus? No, I get my own <laughs> seat. Our coaches and staff do, right. but I mean, it gets a little crowded. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, especially you got guys on the DL here that that travel mm-hmm. and get get treatment, and it get, get a little get a little tight. But sometimes you can get your greatest memories from mm-hmm. something that happens on the bus. So, are you a uh, a Netflix watcher, or are you downloading movies or reading books? Uh, That's your style. Well, I, I'm 
I kind of just browse the internet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. We got a little jet pack that, that me and only the hitting coach knows the, oh, the code to, so wow. nobody can jump on our <laughs> so we get a Steal good signal. Stuff. Yes. <laughs> but, hey, well, uh, you're the manager. Yeah, well, you should yeah, be able to do that. But, I, you know, I I watch homers and, and uh, your own homers? Lip, oh, no, I can't find them. Uh, <laughs> lip, lip sync shows from LL Cool J. All right. Uh, but, no, we, it's. I do a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. make it pass, but uh, we definitely. The good thing about being a manager, I can stop that bus whenever we want to stop it. So if I see a Long John Silvers or something, we'll pull over and everybody gets mad, but I won't go get me an L7. <laughs> what's, the L, what's the L7? L7 is, is a, um, two chicken planks and three fish, hmm. extra hush puppies. Okay. So we. that's the good thing about being a manager. I can pull it Just over. Just do what you want. want. Yeah. 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 Is that on the nutrition plan, the Nationals? Uh, well, I don't, I don't record that. <laughs> I, pay for, I pay for that. They don't pay for that for me. <laughs> Speaking of uh, nutrition and, and your meals, uh, you were made famous. During your time, um, the banana mayo good luck sandwich. Yep. Uh, number one, uh, give fans a little bit of a background of the sandwich, and is it still being used for good luck? Yeah, I mean, let me tell you a little about this sandwich. Now, where I grew up, you know, was this kind of a poor area, and mm-hmm. and and you know, you you ate what was left over, and mm-hmm. and somebody came up with white bread <laughs> with Duke's mayonnaise. It's got to be Duke's mayonnaise and bananas, and. You, once you try it, I mean, it's really, really, really good. <laughs> you know, everybody makes fun of it, but it was my go-to sandwich, and mm-hmm. and it's kind of been my good luck charm. You know, I don't like to go to it too often. That means usually only when we need it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, th- these guys they get grossed out at over. It. You know, everybody now eats healthy, and mm-hmm. you know, I still have a hard time kind of going that route. Obviously, by the way I look, but uh, the banana mayonnaise is a big hit. All right, Matt. Well. Appreciate you taking some time uh, to spend with us this afternoon before your game. Uh, do you have any questions for me? Uh, You're the first person I ever asked for some questions. Well, let, well, let me ask you something. I said, <laughs> who's, the, uh, who's been the greatest uh, bullpen coach in the history of the Washington Nationals? Uh, well, you are actually um, second. Second, yeah. Everybody else is tied for first. There, there we go. You're learning. All right, thanks again, Matty. Good luck tonight. Thank you. Thanks again to Matt Leacroft for joining us. Um, as you could probably tell, I could have spent hours in that in his office with Matt, um, talking baseball, talking his his career path, and um, you know just hearing him tell stories. But you know he had a game to prepare for, so it was about time for me to get out of there. Uh, so after I met with Matt, I headed up to the press box at F&B Field to hang out with Terry Byram, the director of public relations and radio broadcaster for the Harrisburg Senators. Uh, Terry's been around minor league baseball for a long time, and he's been with the Senators for a really long time. So um, he's seen, you know, as we get into in the conversation, he's seen a lot of the current Nationals as minor leaguers and has had some unique uh, encounters with them. Uh, he also tells a pretty good story about his time with Prince Fielder in um, rookie level Ogden back in, I believe, 2002 or 2003. So um, Terry's had some great experiences along the way. He's a big part of you know, what they do up in Harrisburg and um, you know, here's our interview with Terry. I hope you enjoy it. All right, we are back at the Curly W Live Studios. This week is housed at F&B Field, the AA, or the home of the AA Harrisburg Senators. Uh, we just heard from Matt LeCroy, the manager, and now we're up in the press box with Terry Byram, the director of public relations and the radio broadcaster for the Senators. Uh, so, Terry, thanks for taking a couple minutes to join us this afternoon. Thanks, Kyle. While we watched the raindrops yes. fall and uh, the tarp got pulled. Now, in the minor leagues... Pretty much, it's all hands on deck when the when the tarp is pulled. Correct? It is for the most part, 
all hands on deck depending <laughs> on what time of the day it nice. is. Yes. So you look dry, so you didn't have to get in on it. I uh, I didn't make it down there this <laughs> afternoon. Uh, so Terry's in his 13th season with the Senators, correct? And you're That's correct. 16th in all of minor yeah. league baseball. Yeah. Um, so I guess when you got your start, so tell me about your start um, through college and then when you got into minor league baseball, what kind of drew you to this career and, and where you are now? Well, it's a long and involved uh, background, but I didn't go to college. Growing up, uh, going to Giants games at Candlestick, actually, okay. I always attached to the radio broadcasters. Mm -hmm. who were One was Lon Simmons and then another one, Hank Greenwald. And uh, so as I made my way through life and made my uh, way into my late 30s, I did some uh, local broadcasting, mm -hmm. like high school sports, along with a regular job in Indiana. Applied to a team back in 2002. They hired me, and off we went. <laughs> and that was the Ogden Raptors, correct? That was the Ogden Raptors. And what do you remember about kind of your first experiences in minor league baseball, especially with them? They were that single A, or is that rookie? That was that's a rookie league okay. pioneer. They were the Brewers affiliate. Bef the night of my first game was in Idaho Falls. And uh, Greg Riddick, who at that time was the player development director mm -hmm. for the Padres, came up to me before the game. Mm -hmm. He was there. He wanted to uh, or, uh, introduce my. I said the Padres. They were the Brewers. Mm -hmm. uh, wanted to introduce himself to me, and he and he asked me if I'd ever played before. And mm -hmm. I said, Well, I played in high school. That doesn't count. Did you play minor league <laughs> baseball? And I said, Well, no. And he said, Well, then don't talk like you did. And he walked off. Wow. And I thought, Wow. <laughs> And so I got done with that game that night. I think it was something like 16-15. Mm. And I just thought, well, if they fire me tomorrow, I've, I've accomplished my dream. I've done <laughs> one professional, you know, baseball game. Now, you said that was 2002. Two. So I'm trying to I'm, – I'm a Milwaukee guy. Prince Bruce Fielder. Friend, so that was Prince Fielder. Ricky Weeks, was he there? Uh, no, that no. was – I think that was the year before. But Prince Fielder, yes. Okay. Yeah. He probably hit some pretty short home runs in, in that, in that yeah. uh, thin air. <laughs> He, uh, he, you know, back in those days, the number one draft choice is signed pretty quickly. Right. So he missed the first two games in Idaho Falls, joined us for the first home game, which was against Idaho Falls in Ogden, and mm -hmm. hit a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth inning to tie the game. Wow. And so I have – I don't even know what I'm doing yet. <laughs> and I have ESPN and Fox, all the national networks, you know, calling and emailing and, hey, we want footage – and my response is, we're in Ogden, Utah. <laughs> yeah. There is no yeah, footage. I want footage too. <laughs> That's funny. What do you? So, what do you remember about Prince and, and working with working with majors or working with professionals for the first time? You know, Prince was I mean, he was only eighteen, mm -hmm. I guess, seventeen or eighteen. He was great, and uh, I it honestly, and maybe we'll get into this, mm -hmm. but it really helped me when uh, Stephen was here, and right. then when Bryce came here, right. working with Prince and just chatting with him and. That team ended up having, I think, six or seven kids got to the big leagues for at least a short amount of mm -hmm. time. The longest one is Craig Breslow, who's a left-handed right. reliever that bounced around a long time. But uh, just the bus rides and learning a lot from the manager that year, mm -hmm. who was uh, Tim Blackwell, and then Mark Lateau was a pitching coach and learning a lot from him. Okay. So over the years, like you said, this is your 16th season. Um, you know, what what is it about minor league baseball that's kind of kept you going and you know, what do you appreciate about the business and the sport that we're in? Well, I worked in, uh, I hate to say the real world, but I worked <laughs> in the real world for, geez, I guess almost 20 years. Right. And so the the neat thing about this is that every single night, even with smaller crowds in the minor leagues, it's like Disneyland. Mm -hmm. So you have people coming and there's an energy to the day. And even though there are long days and there's a lot of travel and a lot of bus rides, there's an energy to the gates opening and mm. 
for me, uh, working in the real world is more like working here in uh, January and February right. and in November, and I, I'd rather not go back to that year round. <laughs> I, I like, well, I, I really like what I do, broadcasting the games, but I really like the carrot of, you know, we, we have all these really cool things mm-hmm. and, and all these people that show up, and there's so many people that are coming to a game for the first right. time. So you out, um, I met Greg coming up here. Um, and you of, often have a um, an assistant every year. It, it seems to rotate pretty. You mm-hmm. get a new person. So what do you? What's something that you teach them, or what do you often tell them about this position, this role? You know, the 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 baseball lifestyle. Well, it's it's twofold for most of the young kids that come mm-hmm. and work, not just for me, but work all over in the minor leagues. Right. Is that one is they need to have a full-time job. So they want to learn how to be a full-time employee for a minor league mm-hmm. team. And then the other part of that is they want to broadcast in the major right. leagues. And even though I probably will never broadcast <laughs> in the major leagues, mainly because of my age, I think I have a pretty good idea about the things that you need to do to mm. at least put yourself in a position yeah. to be considered. And so we talk a lot uh, over the course of the year, talk a lot about that and how to do research and you know, how to just sound uh, sound engaging on the air when there's only a thousand people right. in the stands. Um, so you're, you, like I said before, you have kind of a dual role. You're director of uh, public relations and the radio broadcaster. So um, what do you do? Obviously, radio broadcasting is um, pretty obvious, but how do those two roles you know, kind of intertwine and, and how do you go back and forth between the two of them? Well, it, in some cases, it helps. I'm the radio broadcaster. Right. There are people that know who I am. Mm-hmm. But the public relations is an easy offshoot for me. It, it was media relations, mm-hmm. and now we just changed it and tinkered with it. Mm-hmm. So more community-driven things in the off-season, more trying to uh, working with our marketing person on just coming up with ideas to market the team. Mm-hmm. And uh, you started right off by saying about the pulling the tarp, everybody right. wears a lot of hats. So it isn't just broadcasting the games and trying to be prepared, but for us, it's also we want people to know in the area just how uh, how much we do for the local community, mm-hmm. and that's really a big piece of that. The other part of what I do. And how has that evolved over the years? What have you seen from the community of Harrisburg since you joined the club to to now? Well, I think when I first joined, when when first started here 13 years ago, mm-hmm. minor league baseball was just on the end of baseball, mm-hmm. just on the beginning of really big franchises, big stadiums. Mm-hmm big amounts of people going and so now we're using social media mm-hmm. a lot grassroots just grassroots social media through facebook twitter instagram also we've gone somewhat backwards so now we're back to sending postcards instead of just emails hmm. because people are used to getting 200 emails a right. day now and at home i actually am back to looking at least at Real mail. I might throw it away, but I look at it. So we're hoping that if somebody sees it, something from us and maybe a cool offer to sit on the field to watch fireworks one night that will engage them. And so um, just those are some of the things that we're doing to try to become relevant in our area. What would you say if you had to pick one part of each role between director of public relations and radio broadcaster, um, what would you say your favorite is of each of them? Well, I think my favorite for the radio broadcaster job, and uh, I, I would imagine since you're a sports fan, mm-hmm. it, it's the same. You know, I grew up, I grew up watching so many of the people that I now it's it's a 
I'm a peer with. Mm-hmm. Bob Boone is a great example. Right. I'm I'm old enough. I've watched his entire career. <laughs> right. And now he comes in the clubhouse, and I walk down there, and he's sitting there. Hi, Terry. How are you doing? And I mean, that's pretty cool. Right. You know, it's hard to, you know. It is an everyday thing, but it's still really mm-hmm. cool. And so I think for me, that's probably the the most fun part of any parts of my job is this. And the, the other, with the public relations, it's capturing a really good story and having something go really well mm-hmm. and feeling really good about the impact that it made for us in the community. Okay. So every pretty much every player that plays for the Nationals, uh, if they're homegrown, they come through Harrisburg. And you get to experience them. You get to kind of help them in their development. Um, like I said, you mentioned, you know, in your early days working with Prince Fielder, um, you know, y- you were Steven Strasburg's first exposure to pro baseball was in Harrisburg. Yes. Um, you know, Bryce played here 37 games during his first season. Um, you've had, I believe you heard with Zimmerman, Ryan, Ryan Zimmerman, Zimmerman, Anthony Rendon, yeah. Yeah. um, Coda Glover, who's, who's helping the big league club right now. Yeah. Um, you know, what, how do you work with those guys, you know, especially with a guy like Steven and Bryce where this is their first, um, exposure to professional baseball, um, you know, a guy like Ryan, he came straight from college to and, and came here. Um, Anthony Cota, players like that, Aaron Barrett um, over the years. How do you, you know, work with them, and what do you talk to them about? What do you work with them on? Well, in Stephen and Bryce's case, I think if they were being honest, they'd tell you they didn't like me very much in the <laughs> beginning just because they right. th- th- there was so much they had to do. And I, mean, I, I think they knew that it wasn't my, you know, wasn't me. Mm-hmm. It, look, when you're on the cover of Sports Illustrated right. when you're 14 or 15, whatever it was, and then in Steven's case, uh, just all the, all the accolades he had received. So those two guys were completely different mm-hmm. than everyone else. And, you know, part of it is just trying to be respectful of their time. And, and actually for me, just my philosophy, I just – stay away Mm -hmm. i stay away for the most part except saying hello Mm -hmm. unless unless there's something that needs to be done and you know and i don't know if that's the right way or the wrong Mm -hmm. way i'll say that when i've seen those guys after they've been here they've been very nice Mm -hmm. and so i think as they've become older they've realized you know some things i think they appreciate a lot of guys once they do get to the big leagues and they they kind of appreciate their steps along the way and that helped them i remember I was an intern with the Nationals at the time in 2010 when Steven was here, and I went to a game in Reading that he pitched, and it was absolute chaos. Yes, <laughs> they had—I don't know if it's still that same way in Reading, but they had the, um, the the clubhouse was in the concourse, and you have to walk through the concourse to the field. And I remember having him having like to watch him walk through the concourse with a police escort down to the field so we could warm up. I mean, it was absolutely absolutely insane that year. It was, and we had to we did a police escort here for him home. Wow! Just to be sure that nobody would follow right. him, and we tried to get him out of here and mm-hmm. the uh, without people noticing too right. much. Everyone else, you know, when Ryan Zimmerman came here, it was a different world. Then mm-hmm. you know, he was a the number one choice, and coming here, I think he was in Potomac for a week before mm-hmm. he came here. Not nearly the exposure as everyone right. else. And he came and just wanted to do whatever we needed mm-hmm. uh, and just wanted to fit in. Right. He didn't really think of himself above anyone else. Mm-hmm. And I think as the years have progressed and social media exists more mm-hmm. and people know so much more about guys in the minor leagues now than ever before right. and, and about on draft day mm-hmm. in a, another two or three weeks, there's so many websites dedicated to you guys now. Right that everyone will know everything there is to know, even about the guy in the 37th round. Right. And so when they come here, especially the the higher picks, there's just, there is more media now and just chatting with guys. And 
just trying to nicely say this is nothing mm-hmm. because when you do get there right. there's 200 people a day right you know um you guys have you're off, you're often a destination for rehab guys too and a day like today where chris heisey is here trying to get uh you know rehab and get back get back to the, to the big league club um is there anything special you do to kind of capitalize on when those guys are here well, in his case, uh, he, he went to school right. here locally. Mm-hmm. So uh, the ABC station here yesterday asked, it was a noon game, if he would be interested in doing a story. And so we went down and asked, and he was fine. Nice. And today he's going to sign some baseballs okay. for us. And really, other than sending it out through social media yeah. and hoping it catches, mm-hmm. and we're hoping it, if the weather was nicer, it would certainly make a difference. Right. But since he's a local guy, I think he would make mm-hmm. he would make a difference for us. And uh, so, yeah, just – just trying to do whatever we can for our charities. Mm-hmm. The baseballs will be used for our auction right. stuff or to give to charitable organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, in your time, like you said, 16th season in minor league baseball, um, I'm sure you've seen a lot of promotions, a lot of crazy things happen at parks. Do you have a – other than the, the yearly Cowboy Monkey Rodeo that seems to be uh, very popular um, with you guys, and I think Potomac does it, um, what, what what kind of promotions over the years or any anything has stood out to you that um, – you know, you've just, you'll just something you'll never forget. The one that has really stood out to me, and we, we haven't done it, and I'm not sure we will do it. In Richmond a few years ago, they had a human cannonball. Mm-hmm. And I, I really wasn't sure, even though I had heard about it, if it really was what it was. <laughs> and the, the guy got into the cannon, which was out in shallow center field, huge net at home plate, took a Come long on. time to get set up, and they, they, Either they were playing or whatever, but they took a long time with the launch <laughs> angle. And I'll be doggone. I mean, he shot over the infield into the net. And uh, not something I would do. There had to be some sort of a pretty heavy charge in that. <laughs> well, you know, it made a whole bunch of smoke like it was really a cannon. But whatever was in there, I thought, man, alive. better. How long ago me. was that? That must have been about, I think it was three or four years wow. ago. Yeah, yeah. That that's the one really that uh, that's the one that really sticks out. Yeah. If you had to pick a other than your beautiful park here, uh, if you had to pick your favorite park in the Eastern League, what, what would you say? Wow, that's <laughs> a that's a tough one. I really like going to New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. It's a it's really a neat ballpark. But now the one in Hartford, it's not necessarily good for writers or radio broadcasters, mm-hmm. but great for fans. The new uh, you said Hartford. The, the, the new, new ballpark one, new in Hartford this year. They just opened it. Great for the players. It's really a mini big league ballpark. Right. And uh, it's hard to leave Portland off. I know you asked when Portland is just a great town to mm-hmm. go to. And since I'm from Northern California, Portland reminds me of San Francisco. Okay. It's just a small San Francisco. Um, so you, we talked. I talked with Maddie downstairs a lot about the, uh, the long bus ride sometimes. And um, first of all, are you a, are you a Netflix or um, you know movie guy? What are you What are you watching on these long bus rides? I do, I do have a Netflix account. Uh, I don't download a whole lot of stuff. I read. That's okay. really the time that I take advantage of. Every Christmas, I have my wife buy me you know, five or six books, mm-hmm. and I know I can get them online, mm-hmm. but I like holding the book, yeah. and it's just one of those things, I guess, age. And so <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll take a book on a road trip, and usually I can finish a book during a road trip, depending mm-hmm. on how long the bus ride is, and I'll get through five or six, seven books in a season. Oh. He probably won't be happy with me telling you this, but apparently Matt has his own uh, Wi-Fi connection on the bus. Matt does that he have sees his cl- own. Okay, yes. so you know about it. All yeah. right, I don't. Uh, yeah, he'll. Uh, he he was talking to me about it downstairs, and he was didn't want me to tell anybody, but you know, he has his own Wi-Fi connection if you ever need it. <laughs> yeah, I think Matt. Uh, I think he's a Netflix guy too. Yeah. I think. Yeah. 
He said he likes to try to find his home runs on like YouTube so he can watch himself hit homers. Well, there wasn't that many. There were, there, yeah, there weren't that many. And yeah. so I think he can just watch a watch a <laughs> loop of them. Yeah. All right, Terry. Well, I appreciate uh, you spending some time with us. You know, um, we got a 6.30 game tonight, and I know you get busy before games, so I appreciate you taking some time to join us today. Sure. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you. So thanks again to Matt LeCroy and Terry Byram for letting me come up and hang out with them for the afternoon last week. Um, the game eventually got postponed, but it was uh, great to see those guys and hang out with them for a few hours. And always, as I always say, we want your feedback, so feel free to tweet at me, uh, at Kyle Brostowitz or at Nationals, and uh, or leave comments on Curly W Live. Let us know what you want to hear. And yeah. As a reminder, you can always find the podcast on our blog, which is Curly W Live, curlyw.mlblogs.com, uh, nationals.com slash podcast, and on iTunes. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the blog as well uh, as to the podcast on iTunes so you don't miss out on anything. Uh, looking ahead to this week, the Nationals will welcome the Baltimore Orioles here on Thursday as a makeup for the postponed game earlier in the season uh, before kicking off a weekend interleague set with the Texas Rangers. Don't forget, Friday night, June 9th, is Tanner Roark bobblehead. The first 25,000 fans through the gates will receive a Tanner Roark bobblehead, and it just so happens to be being given out the same night as the Nationals kick off their series against Tanner's former club, the Texas Rangers. So Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, the Nationals will welcome the Atlanta Braves for their first visit to D.C. of the 2017 season. And also taking place next week, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, is the 2017 Major League Baseball first-year player draft. The Nationals hold the 25th overall pick in the draft, um, and then all 40 rounds will take place over those three days. So be sure to check out Curly W Live um, for all your draft update and draft information throughout the week. Thanks again for checking out episode four of the Curly W Live podcast, and be sure to tell your friends. (laughs) 